hello, and welcome to another edition of the Fade the Public Podcast. My name is Ian Collins, and joining me as always is, well, I'm not going to insult him this week. He's had a rough week. Ryan Morrison. Ugh, um, <clears throat> you, you know, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, Monday after, Monday night, uh, recording. Um, actually, it's not good to be here. Honestly, I, yeah, my week's been real shitty. Um, I love that uh, in the midst of one of the most historic uh, economic downturns the United States has seen uh, in the last 20 years, um, I have zero job security, uh, very limited experience in my field, uh, and almost no mobility and uh, a debt payment to pay off my truck. So you could say, Ian, things are going swimmingly in the Morrison camp. Uh, by swimmingly, is that because you're underwater? Uh, you could. Well, I'm not underwater, thank God. But uh, you could say it feels like in my career I'm swimming around with two bricks tied to my feet. Um, so. Oh, so uh, it's a dream then, not a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know. It's there's a little voice uh, out there that keeps telling me it's all going to be over soon. So. Um, <laughs> oh, that's me just whispering to you. <laughs> Uh, it's so, it's like uh, a telltale heart as I inch closer and closer to you each night. I, I don't understand that reference. That's because you're an illiterate rube. The telltale heart is about a servant who ends up killing his uh, his boss and ends up hiding and thinks that he left the heart under the floorboards. But it's actually just a uh, story about his guilt eating away at him, and he ends up confessing to the murder. Interesting. I will definitely probably never read that, but I uh, appreciate the, the TLDR um, for the entire novel. It's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. Ah, well, I feel like a complete idiot. Um, anyways, um, I guess we can curtail the uh, the, or we can we can springboard off of um, my horrible job security into uh, the economy. Ian, uh, you are our local uh, Adam Smith of the podcast. Can you give us a rundown of what is going on? Bad. Yes, bad. Um, So uh, basically my understanding is, or this is how I perceived it today. Obviously the market has been in complete turmoil due to the uncertainty of quarantines and economic slowdowns because of the coronavirus. Um, But uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia are essentially playing a big game of chicken uh, to see who can drive oil prices down the fastest. Um, Tinfoil Hat Ryan uh, perceives this as Russia and Saudi Arabia, particularly Russia, taking advantage of a weak global economy to completely annihilate and hamper uh, the United States economy specifically in retaliation for uh, trade uh, sanctions that the United States has placed on Russia in the past. Um, That's what Tinfoil Hat Ryan believes. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But they sure did pick an opportune time to just say fuck you to every United States uh, oil and gas company. Uh, and, and because of that, um, the basically the oil price dropped percentage-wise the most it has dropped 
in, I don't know the number, I, I want to say it's like 20 or 30 years, single day loss. Um, it was down 25%. And this obviously sent the markets into complete turmoil with everybody selling everything off, buying gold, and going to hide in their bunkers waiting for the uh, next economic Armageddon to take place here shortly. Uh, did I sum that up pretty well? Uh, pretty much. I mean, there's. Uh, if we want to go into it, I think that Saudi Arabia, I believe that Saudi Arabia was trying to increase the oil prices, uh, and Russia was just like, fuck you, we want to basically turn the screws. I think they were probably trying to turn the screws on the American fracking companies, because yes. apparently that's always what people want to do, is, and the oil... And the oil industry is fuck over American frackers. Yep. Uh, and so they're like, oh no, fuck us, fuck you. My uh, understanding, so, I, I, so, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the oil glut in 2014, we saw oil at record high prices, um, you know, 100 and I think $10 a barrel is where it maxed out in June of 2014. And then we saw, obviously, the, the bubble burst as, you know, supply started to outpace demand significantly. And um, we got down, I think, in February of 2015, we bottomed out at what I thought would be the, the lowest price I'd ever see crude at in my lifetime, $27 a barrel. Um, we hit that today, uh, $27.43 a barrel. Um, the big thing that OPEC has done since the glut, and, and you know, this is for the for our listener that doesn't know a whole lot about the global oil market, OPEC supplies the, the global oil market with about 33 to 40% of demand every year. Now, the United States is, a, is the single largest producer in the world, but OPEC, um, the oil producing, oil producing... No, it's the Organization no. of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Yes, I knew the E was exporting. Sorry, I was, was going to get to that. Thank you um, for the correction. Um, but since the – because they are like an oligarchy of these oil exporting countries, um, they have some control and all these – I guess to caveat that they're an oligarchy, they – all of these oil companies they control are state-owned. So Saudi Arabia doesn't have you know six companies inside its borders pumping oil. They have you know they have Saudi Aramco, which is owned by the state, um, or controlled by the state. It's not owned by the state. They had an IPO recently, but um, what they have the power to do is limit and control how much they how much oil they produce uh, you know every day. Um, and usually they'll do that in response to global market demands because their economies, uh, especially companies or countries like Saudi Arabia, their economy is so dependent on the oil price. So <clears throat> what they've done since 2014 is slowly cut their supply to match, to better match demand as the United States has gained a stronger foothold in oil production and exports. Um, the difference with the United States and Saudi Arabia is the United States has no power to tell ExxonMobil or to tell Chesapeake or to tell uh, Oxy how much they can sell. It's, it's, we're, a, we're a free market country. These companies aren't state-run, so they can produce as much oil as they want to produce and sell. 
Um, so inherently, if they continue to produce oil and outpace demand, they're going to drive the price down. Well, Saudi Arabia and Russia are, are the two, lar- two of the largest in OPEC, um, have scaled back their production to you know, help bolster the price. And they've done that in, with repeated cuts or you know, they've had a steady production cut in place uh, basically since 2014, 2015. Um, oil prices have come, have bounced back from that $27 or had bounced back from that $27 low in February of 2015. And I saw a Goldilocks market of around $50 to $60 a barrel. And it's been there for the better part of the last three years, four years. Um, seemed to be a happy medium where shale companies in the United States could still make some money, but they weren't really bankrolling a whole lot. Uh, and then on the other side, you still had OPEC, which was generally happy with that price range as well. Um, so S- OPEC was going to meet this weekend, or they had a meeting here in the last few days to discuss further production cuts to bolster the price based on lower demand in China from the coronavirus and an expected lower demand globally for the coronavirus also. Uh, and now we have Russia kind of saying, Fuck you, Saudi Arabia. We're not cutting production, so we're gonna we're gonna run as much oil as we can. Or we're gonna sell as much oil as we can sell to the global market. Saudi Arabia said, "Well, fuck you. If you're gonna do that, we're gonna do the same thing." And now we have a flooded oil market at honestly one of the times where demand will be the lowest that it's been in a long time. We've actually seen a decrease in demand due to the coronavirus for the first time in decades. Um, and uh, to further that. Um, I think, as I talked earlier about the tinfoil hat theory, Russia is twisting the knife into the global and more specifically the United States economy, knowing that the effects that the problems the United States economy has are somewhat um, somewhat larger compared to what they would experience in Russia, knowing that Russia has a lot of state-owned companies and uh, jobs as well. That's my summary of it. Uh, that's probably like a fucking 10-minute summary on uh, the global oil market and where we're at. But, uh, hey, at least gas is going to be cheaper, right? We'll get to that later. Excellent. Uh, anything else to add on top of my rant about OPEC and Russia? Um, no, not especially. I mean, it's, it's just basic... Situation of a correction and people panicking in response to uh, a pandemic. It happens and it usually adversely affects the. Uh, it usually adversely affects the, the global economy, and it just happens to be an inconvenient timing that this is when Russia decided that they were going to try and put their dick on the table. So tell me this. So tell me this, Ian. Do you see? Do you think we're at the the bottom of the coronavirus market trend, or do you, do you see us going into full bear market in the next week? In the next week, I'm not sure yeah. if it'll fall that point in the next week. I think that by the end of March, will I think at the end of March we'll bottom out. End of March. How many more points do you think we're gonna? I mean, percentage wise, we've. I think we're now twenty percent into the correction. Um, I think the bear market sits at what twenty five percent is generally uh, what you'd say a bear market would be. 
Um, I am not very familiar with the technical terms. Or like the the range the ranges of when it. I believe the Wells or the Wall Street Journal um, refers to the bear market starting around twenty five percent. So we got close to it today twice. Um, I I saw it. You know, interesting. We we had a trading halt today for the first time since nineteen ninety seven. Um, also, for our listener that doesn't know much about Wall Street, uh, that is essentially a circuit breaker um, to prevent a complete death spiral uh, in with people selling off all their shit. Um, yeah, basically saw. it's because people, whenever you start selling as much as it, because I think it dropped 1,800, 1800 points in, or $1,800, sorry, in under 20 minutes, I want to say. Maybe yeah, it was, it was, it was like within, within, yeah, 15, 20 minutes of the opening bell, the S&P 500 had dropped 7%, the Dow had dropped 7%. I think the NASDAQ was down like 6%. Yeah, and it's basically the idea of we need people to just take 15 minutes, and that's how long it was. Take 15 minutes just not trading Yep. to get their bearings straight. Take 15 minutes, go do some Coke, eat a bagel, come back here, and we'll regroup and and with a better mindset and a a better outlook on how we're going to approach this. And then immediately within like another hour, we were right back down to 7%. So... Um, honestly, th- this has been such a blessing in disguise because on it, like three weeks ago, if you were, if I was sitting here, like trying to explain any of this or any of the terminology, I just would have said, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I've like had, like having to really look into like what these terms mean and going to that next layer. It's stuff has been a learning experience for, um, you know, like wall street and how stocks are traded and, and, you know, how the markets react to certain outside influences like coronavirus or a, a drop um in oil prices or you know other commodities like that i remember you sent me a uh a tweet that someone you follow had sent out about the market with a bunch of phrases that are commonly used by people that follow the market and asked me to explain about four different aspects of the tweet yes yes it was the eli5 um actually i'll pull it up because it's a great tweet uh, let me find it. It's by Large, Barstool Large. And uh, this was about a week, two weeks ago. It was right at the end of the complete giant fucking sell-off. Um, oops, excuse me. Um, let me find it. It's pretty funny. Because I believe he talked about drugs and some other things, too. And anytime anyone talks about drugs, I'm, you know... It's always, up, it's always a tweet worth worth discussing. But if you it's know. if it's twenty five percent, then that would probably it would have to fall about another two thousand. Uh because it was a it peaked at twenty nine thousand, I wanna say, before it started the started the correction. Uh mm-hmm. it I don't want to go so far as to say that it will definitely do it by the end of this week, but I think it will definitely have hit the bear market before the end of this month. All right, I found because, the tweet. Go ahead. Oh, so I'll finish. Uh, I'll, well, I'll the, the, the reason why is because it's not it, – it's – people are still panicking about the about the coronavirus, and I don't see the – I don't see the oil – dick measuring contest that's going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia being worked out 
this week, although it I easily could. I don't but, see that being worked out in, in the near future. I think that's like a months-long thing. Yeah, honestly. no, I, I, I'm going to agree with you on that. But that's not, that's not – that's more of a problem just in that it's compounded with the effects of the coronavirus on consumer behavior. So the big concern is that people in the U.S. are probably going to continue and get more panicky as it actually spreads – uh, which is something that we've been seeing a lot more here uh, in the last week. And so the the thing I'm expecting, I think it, hmm, I think that there will probably be a larger outbreak in the, by the end of March. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I saw an estimate that all testing materials and everything that would be needed for the nationwide uh, address for the nation to address the coronavirus uh, should be out by the end of April. And so I think that it'll probably hit its bottom around the first week of April and then actually start. It'll stay around that point um, for a couple weeks and then start to recover slightly. You know, what's not helping any of this shit is that none of these play like, okay. So South by South, South by Southwest got canceled. Um, the Boston, um, St. Patty's day parade has been canceled and none of this shit. No one wants to be responsible for having like a localized outbreak because they hosted a gathering of people. You know what I'm saying? Like no one wants to, no one wants to look back on you know oh yeah uh, it was fine in the U S until uh, it got spread at South at the South by Southwest festival and then it was a complete pandemic after that I think that's why these events are getting canceled it's not necessarily that the people are worried about it actually getting spread but the chance that if it does the name recognition and it being traced back to your brand or your event it, it would be detrimental to future marketing. Situation. Well, it definitely wouldn't. That's without question a factor. But it's also worth noting that a lot of people, with this being the case, a lot of people are bailing on it. And so it's really hurting. It's it's not a good look if you have, for example, South by Southwest, you have comedians and musicians and whatever else they have at South by Southwest uh, come in and then nobody's attending because they're freaking out. And it doesn't help that a lot of the places where these are going on, like Seattle and Los Angeles and Austin, are places where you see large homeless populations as well as a lot of people who are uh, against vaccinations. So that makes it... That increases... One, the, the homeless population can increase the possibility of people being worried that they'll be infected by people just walking down the street and so they don't want to leave the house at all but also if you have a a child that hasn't been vaccinated then people are more likely to freak out even though there isn't a vaccine for coronavirus right 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 man um oh did you see that uh there was someone that showed up to cpac and (laughs) that had the coronavirus Yes, yes. Um, God damn it. 
CPAC. Remind me what that is. I saw someone went to. I want. I, well, my assumption is it's a conservative political action committee, but I don't think that's it. I know I saw some I, conservative I think I saw political some, action conference. That's what it was. Ah, I saw someone. I I, I saw the CPAC thing. I, I didn't look any further behind the headline. And then someone else went to. Um, it was like a sporting event or something. Oh, I can't think of it. Maybe it was a horse race or a casino. I can't remember. Uh, it's It must have been, obviously, it was nothing that I was actually going to go to. Well, my um, favorite headline is the, I I can't understand the people who get sick and they're quarantined and they're like, well, it's not that big a deal if I leave quarantine for this, is it? <coughs> yes. Yes, it's that big of a deal. Yeah. And that's, dude. Like, I, it, it's come to the point. Like, and I hate, I hate the people. There, there are two sides that, like, I just, I hate about this whole coronavirus thing. Is like, there seems to be once again, just like our fucking political politics in America. You have two very clearly defined sides. You've got this one camp that is just like they're going out and buying gallons of hand sanitizer, dousing themselves with hand sanitizer, and setting themselves on fire in hopes that they don't get the coronavirus, right? And then you've got the other side who's out there licking doorknobs and flying to China on a whim because they think it's a bunch of – it's a sham created by the media. And where in reality, I think we all kind of need to be in the middle once again and realize that this has the potential to be horrible. But if we're smart and we are sensible, we can avoid both economic – complete economic collapse – and uh, one of the worst pandemics to happen since the Spanish flu in 1918. Um, so I, you know. So you're saying we're fucked, dude? I mean, if we're yeah. relying on people to be smart and sensible, that's not a great policy to take. We're fucked forward. because because here's the thing, man. Is like, and this is what I talked about last week that scares me about it is you can carry the symptoms, you can carry the coronavirus for like three weeks before you show symptoms. Okay, so eventually it's going to get to the point that like you don't have control if 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 it's that dangerous and if that's the way the virus acts where it doesn't show symptoms for weeks, there's no way to fucking control its spread short of literally quarantining entire cities and saying work from home and and, and then okay so we take it a step back and say okay you're going to work from home but. You know, I'm a construction worker. I can't work from home. People that work at grocery stores can't work from home. And that's where entire industries come to a complete fucking standstill. Manufacturing can't work from home. If you operate a, if you operate an injection molding machine to make plastic parts for the automo- automotive industry, you can't work from home. You have to go to work to be productive and to generate revenue for companies. And that's where... The that whole, is an oddly specific example you just threw out. Well, that was, that's what I just did. That's what I did. Oh, okay. I, I, I used to do that. That's why it just came to mind, right? Um, but if if those people can't go to work because of laws or regulations placed by the federal government or by state or local governments, I, I mean, it, it's hard not to imagine complete economic collapse is not out of the question. Um, to the point where, like, you know, it, I don't know. Um, I guess I don't know. I say I don't know because I don't know how you'd fix it. 
at that point, other than the virus going away or or we get some good news that, okay, this isn't nearly as bad as we think it is. And that's what it's going to really take. And the problem is, is if, if Trump or Mike Pence or the CDC were to come out and say that, nobody's going to fucking believe him because the news is fanning this like it's the goddamn Australian brush fire. Okay? Um, so, I, you know... There's a lot of uncertainty, man, and I and I think that's what I think that's exactly what the markets are seeing in New York and, and globally is is they don't know this this has the potential to be nothing, but this has the potential to com- cause complete economic meltdown globally. Um, and that's sort of the that's sort of the problem is that people when people don't know what's going to happen or they don't have they're really not sure what's going to happen, they have that tendency to take more conservative approaches. And so that's why this is just hitting the markets as hard as it is. Right. And that's really what the problem with it starting in China was, is the fact that whether you think it was the bat or you put on your tinfoil hat and you think it was developed in a lab and it's a bioagent, either way, we don't know fuck all about it until it's spread to about a half dozen countries outside of China because they won't tell us anything. Right, right, for the sake of their own national image and, and all other, you know, and, and of course reports are coming out that they've curtailed it and, you know, the, the cases are declining. But, you know, how much of that can you actually believe? You know, how, how did they curtail it other than locking or welding people into their buildings? You saw that hotel collapsed in um, China that had like 30 quarantinees in it. Uh, you, you know, what, what's causing that? What, what did they really do to, to stop the, the spread of the virus and, and, and get it under control? And is it something that's even feasible to have done in a, in a Western country? And I don't think, you know, that's what we don't know. They won't fucking tell us. You're exactly right. They won't tell us what's going on. Until well, it was the, way too late. The good sign is that South Korea has started curtailing its spread. But the problem is that that required like widespread testing and just like huge swaths of the population being tested all at once so that they could be quarantined immediately. Right. And so that's the problem I, I saw today that by estimates uh, – and granted, this is on Twitter, so it's not – it's not verified, but estimates have the have that the total number of tests that would it would take to get everybody tested in the U.S. won't be available until like eight weeks from now. And at that point, I mean, is it too late? You don't know. When did this start in China per se? Like beginning of December? I th- I believe so. Yeah. So we're we're twelve weeks in. Did you see that? Did you see that the China and Russia are trying to claim that it started in the United States, and so they're very upset with the federal government coming out and calling it the Wuhan virus. How did it start in the fucking United States? It's a great question. Uh, I don't really know how they're trying to spin that, but then uh, people in the United States are claiming that it is racist to refer to it as the Wuhan virus. Fellas, is it racist to uh, to claim uh, a virus is from the place where it started? I don't know. I got Lyme disease last week, and you mentioned the Spanish flu. Let's, uh, 
Wait, did you really get Lyme disease last week? No, it's just oh. another disease that's named after a place. A, a location. Yeah, yes. The Spanish, the Spanish flu. Fellas, is the Spanish flu racist? I don't know. Um, that well, was, it, was a, well, it showed up and stabbed a bull, so... That's, that's, a, that's a matador joke. Ah, bullfighting. <laughs> I wish that was legal in the States. <laughs> Uh, it might be down in Texas. Uh, no, it's not. You have to go to Mexico. Oh, unfortunately. it's not fucking worth it then. Animal, animal cruelty. Um, that's it. You know, worst case backup plan. We join the cartel. Um, I think I'm fine with just getting the coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, I it's, know. I guess I was referring partly to my horrible job situation too uh, okay yeah no that would that's not an ideal situation for you to the DEA that's listening to this I'm not going to join the cartel don't worry um, I, don't, I number might one, number one well uh, <laughs> the kombucha girl. I want to keep my I want to keep my options open I want to come out firmly against <laughs> look look nothing's off the table at this point <laughs> oh man uh, did we spend another 30 minutes talking about uh, – yes, we did, almost on the dot, talking about um, foreign affairs and, and politics. Um, Ian, uh, you know whose stock is not on the decline? Puro? Uh, no, the West Virginia basketball team. Oh. Yeah, that's, that was a surprise. And apparently, uh, fun fact, I texted a few, uh, few people. Ryan was amongst them and informed them that – well, one found out that I got the starting time of the game wrong, so that was I was real dumb. But two turned on the second half, uh, where we had a lead of twenty-eight to twenty-six, and by the time I had by by the time I decided that I should stop watching, it had turned into a thirty-seven to thirty lead for Baylor. So there was an eleven and two run. I then turn it off and either, like, I think I make lunch or do something and decide to check the score on my phone, and we now have a lead of three at 45 to 42. And so it was at this point that I was informed that I am no longer allowed to watch the rest of the game. So I didn't. And we ended up winning by eight, I believe. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch the game either. I, I'm... I, you talk about quarantines. Uh, I have quarantined myself from West Virginia basketball. Um, it was a temporary quarantine. I just was tired of feeling like I was going to puke every time I watched our games. So uh, I decided to put it away, um, detox myself, uh, take up better habits like cocaine and alcohol. And um, uh, yeah, but we won. I did check the score. I saw that we won. Uh, I think Deuce had a good game. I think Oscar had a good game. Honestly, I couldn't provide any analysis for it. I, I don't think I've even watched highlights of it yet. Um, I was honestly pleasantly surprised we won. Vegas was not. There was a lot of reverse line movement on that game. Um, all the sharps coming in on WVU there, so they must have seen something in hugs that I haven't seen in a month and a half. Uh, but yeah, this this does indicate one thing, Ian. You cannot watch another West Virginia basketball game um, this year. Okay, quick question: If I decide to not watch any of the conference tournament games, 
and we lose, does that mean I can watch the NCAA tournament? Yes, the ban is lifted at that point. Okay. Yeah, so if, we, so if, what you, you're if saying, you turn it off, if you don't watch and we continue to win, you can't watch. If we go all the way to the National Championship game, you cannot watch any games. Okay, quick question, and it's a fun hypothetical. If you, because this is a situation I might find myself in. Uh-huh. If you had the option of West Virginia making it to the Final Four but couldn't watch any game, how would you accept that? What's the, what's the alternative? I've thought about this, too. I thought about this the other day. What's the alternative, though? So, like, if I watch, we lose. If I don't watch, we win. Yes. Yeah, I'm not watching. I would take a national championship if I never laid one goddamn eye on the TV. Absolutely. I, I think I agree with you, but I think, it's, I think it's a harder decision because the entire joy of the national championship is the road to get there and, like, the experience of watching your team lift the trophy... Like cut down the nets. Like you, you saw it happen. You experienced this sort of as a unit, and so it would really, it would really diminish the joy I would take out of the national championship. You know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't because I could finally say we got one. But okay. But here's the thing: is like if it's like option A, we lose. Option B, we win the whole thing. I'm gonna take option B every time. Every okay. time, no matter. But but okay now now if if option A there's just a higher chance we lose, but we're it's not guaranteed. I might take option A. So option A, we end up facing Gonzaga at some point in the tournament. <laughs> option B, we don't. Uh, option B, I'm taking option B all day. <laughs> Fuck Gonzaga! I don't ever want to play them. <laughs> That that is the that is the weirdest thing about being a West Virginia fan. It's that the team you're most afraid to face in the tournament is always Gonzaga. And if you were to talk to any other team, they'd be like, "Why?" And you just have yeah. to like you just have to pull out a cigarette and shakingly put it to your mouth and light it like you're about to tell war stories from Nam. You turn off the you turn on the one overhead light. You know, light the cigarette and say, "How much time you got?" <laughs> You're gonna need some. You hand him a glass of Everclear and say you might need something stronger than that, buddy. <laughs> the uh, so, uh, but yes. So I will commit that if I don't watch any of the conference tournament, if I don't watch any of West Virginia's games in the conference tournament, and we win the Big Twelve, I will not watch any of West Virginia's games in the NCAA tournament because that would mean that me not watching turned into us having a Big Twelve title. Now, now I will say you could maybe Amish your way into this, and you know, maybe if you don't particularly turn on the TV, if you just go somewhere and the game happens to be on. You could kind of work your way around it, right? I don't think that no, because I've I've done that before. That was I went to Spage for the TCU game. No, see, but that's your problem. You went for the TCU game, but if you went to a Buffalo Wild Wings, just to you know, your whole reason for going is to watch other games, and our game happened to be on. 
I, I don't think I think that you're I'm trying to outthink this this juju and it's not working. No, I'm just saying because the Amish like as long as they don't start the motor, they don't go to hell. No, no, no. You're thinking you're thinking of the uh, the, what the what's the one that starts no, with a no, P? No, 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 no. The, the Mennonites, the Mennonites dress like the Amish, but they can drive cars. The Amish can't drive the cars; they can ride in the cars, just like. The Amish can run a lawnmower, but they're not allowed to start the lawnmower. Same with a chainsaw or like a power saw or any kind of power tools. Are you? When I worked, what? Are, are you sure? Are you sure that's all am, the Amish? I am at least the ones I worked around in Ohio, and they were true, full blown fucking Amish. Like they I, would I pay, think they other, paid think, people. They paid people to come over and start the lawnmower for them, and then they would push the lawnmower and turn it off, right? But they couldn't start it. That was like part of their religion. It was strange. It was very strange. They call these people Yoder Toters because they like drive. They drive all the Amish around. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, my, I'm not sure I've gone back to the cautious optimism yet. I'm still incredibly skeptical. Uh, Although it is worth noting that if we exclude the entire month of February, then we have one of the best records in the country. So that's that's worth that's, acknowledging. It's like, yeah, if, if we look at if you take away most of our losses, we have a pretty good record. <laughs> Ma- maybe, <laughs> maybe we just really don't like Valentine's Day. And uh, so Chase, maybe Chase they Harler, have your perspective on Valentine's from, Day, and they're like, "Fuck this entire month." That's it. There was a feud. Baby mamas were involved, and it's over now. That the love, the, the the month of love is gone. Is Mercury? I bet you, this is what it is. Mercury is out of retrograde. I think. <sighs> Finally. Finally, Mercury's. Wait, let me look this up. I'm gonna laugh my ass off if Mercury. If that's of, actually true, if Mercury went out of retrograde like at the end of at the end of February. Is Mercury in retrograde? The, uh, oh, the- yes. Um, let's see here. There's literally a, a fucking website. It's just called ismercuryinretrograde.com. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be oh a God. very – we actually – so it looks like we actually are going – are currently still in retrograde until tomorrow. That's what it appears as though. On March 9th – it is March 9th. Oh, the one I'm looking at says March 10th. Let's see here. Um, what is – oh, yeah, here it is. Mercury will apparently be in retrograde motion during the following ranges of dates, February 17th to March 10th. July, June 18th to July 12th, October 14th to November 3rd. Um, you know what this means, Ian? What? Uh, this means that – if let me go do – let me look something up here. Um, I have a theory about the stock market. Are you going to say that the stock market collapsed because Mercury is in retrograde? Uh, it would be very convenient that uh, Mercury went into retrograde on February 17th. And if we look back on the three-month fall, you will notice that it, uh, the stock market peaked uh, on fe- – <laughs> the stock market peaked on February 18th. Uh, and, I was so hoping you and, were going to say February 16th. Oh, no. It, it, well, that's a weekend. It was a weekend. 
Okay. So, so the market closed on the 14th, um, and it reopened on the 18th because remember the 17th was President's President's Day. Day. Okay. Yes. So, so we peaked. We peaked on the 19th, and then we have been in a steady decline since the 19th. <laughs> Until now. So I think we have found the reason that the stock market has been in the fucking shitter. And that's because Mercury was in fucking retrograde. Okay. We've done it. We've 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 solved the problem. Now we just need to have we've we've come up with the the question to ask is I'm how do we solve the, the stock I'm market? I'm gonna get on the private jet and fly to Omaha, Nebraska tomorrow and sit down one on one with Warren Buffett and tell him that that was the problem. Warren, you don't understand. Mercury was in retrograde. Is what's that even mean? Do you know what that means? Negative ghostwriter. All right. Well, we're gonna do a little more learning for the listener. Um, what does it mean? <laughs> Here it is. Oh, wait. What to do when Mercury is in retrograde. Um, so, okay. So, we'll first, we'll learn what Mercury in retrograde is. Due to the way our planet's orbit interacts with the orbits of other planets, they might sometimes appear, appear to be traveling backward through the night sky with respect to the zodiac. This is, in fact, an illusion which we call an apparent retrograde motion. Three times a year, it appears as though Mercury is traveling backwards. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what to do when Mercury is in retrograde. The planet Mercury rules communication, travel, contracts, automobiles, and such. There you go. Contracts, communication, travel. This is the Wuhan virus. Automobiles. So when Mercury is in retrograde, remain flexible. Allow extra time for travel and avoid signing contracts. Double check your email responses. Check in with reservations before you take that trip. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You can't stop your life but plan ahead. Have backup plans. Be prepared for angry people and miscommunication. Take a time to reflect. Mercury retrograde can be an excellent time to take a step back and reanalyze who you are and what you are doing. But do refrain from making any drastic changes until you after retrograde has ended. So um, tomorrow's the day, man. Retrograde is, is done. It's time to make a major change. Uh, the stock market is going to hit record highs in the next month. The CDC and the World Health Organization is going to come out and say... Uh, Psych bitch, eat some, um, eat some essential, use some essential oils, and it will cure you of all coronavirus symptoms. Um, and also, by the way, we have found uh, the secret to immortality. Um, enjoy. I think that's the perfect transition for us to go to listener questions. <laughs> right. Uh, you don't want to do hockey corner first. Oh, we can do hockey corner first. I forgot the, the I forgot the order of things. Uh, it's gonna be a relatively short hockey corner. I'm gonna have uh, an up in hockey corner. Is oh god, how do I pronounce this guy's name? Uh, I want to say it's Zabinajad. Uh, he is the fourth player in the 21st century to score five goals in a single game. He did it last week for the New York Rangers uh, to beat the Washington Capitals. And he... <laughs> he uh, This included a uh, game-tying goal and an... Uh, oh, no, sorry. The game-winning goal in overtime and the one that put them in the lead 
with a minute to go in the regular and regulation, uh, which was followed up by a quick score by the Washington Capitals. Uh, this put him into, I want to say, the top five goal scorers of the season. Uh, he was traded from the Ottawa Senators for basically nothing, which shows that the Ottawa Senators need to just get rid of everyone. Just uh, just everyone in their front office needs to be fired immediately. The fact that that's a trade that they allowed to happen is nonsensical, and they have no idea what they're doing. I think I saw a picture that they only have three people on their team that was on the team four years ago. It is a terribly run organization. But good news for Zabinijad. Uh, he will. He is playing well enough, and the Rangers are actually playing well enough to make a playoff push, trying to snag the wild card. And we'll be leaving one New York team and going to the other for the down of this week in the Ian's Hockey Corner, and that is the New York Islanders, who have just been eating a bag of dicks for quite some time. I mean, my, I think they are 2-7-3 and three in their last 12 games, uh, which, Ryan, I'll, I'll ask you, this is probably the easiest question I've asked you on Honky, uh, is, is that good? 2-7-3, uh, I would say, is not good, uh, having lost to the Hurricanes last night. Uh, the Senators, I'm sorry, on Saturday night, uh, the Senators, uh, two days before that, getting smashed by the Canadians at home. Two days before that, uh, shut out by the Bruins. Two days before that, you could say the five games in, in, in five days there from the 29th, to the, or the five games in eight days there, seven days, uh, was less than ideal, uh, losing by a total score of um, 10, 14, 17, 17 to, uh, hang on, still doing the math, 17 to 5. To seven, uh, so their goal differential was ten in the last five losses. So you could say um, that is less than ideal, Ian. Okay, I, j- I just wanted to double check with you, and uh, so that is they had a lot of hopes trying to make it into the into the playoffs and trying making a move, trying to make a move, but it looks like um, it looks like they. They're just sort of collapsing towards the end of the season, and uh, I've heard suggestions that it could be because of their coaches. Uh, I believe it's Barry Trotz. He has a very, very disciplined, uh, like exhausting style, where it's very defensive heavy, uh, that may just be wearing on his team throughout the season, and that just really hurts him. Um, also, I'm looking, their, I'm looking at their roster, and like all of these guys look exactly the same. Uh, yeah, it's it's hockey. Most of them are going to look the same. They're going to look Canadian. Interesting. All right. Um, and then t- to finish it off, I was incorrect on my pick, but I did. I actually said at the end of it that I would recommend fading me because it was without question a homer <laughs> pick. And, uh, yeah, so it was the Lightning won 5-3 on Saturday over the Bruins. Uh, it's not, it's going to be a great series if they manage to go one-on-one or end up meeting in the second round of the playoffs. 
Uh, it'll probably be the second or third best series of the playoffs. Number one is probably going to be the Battle of Alberta if they that continues to happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Battle of Alberta? Um, obviously, uh, I'm a big I'm a big Flames guy uh, till I die. Here, um, you know, I, I've been happily aboard the Flames train now for um, a few uh, weeks since the hockey corner has started. Obviously, tough loss to the Golden Knights uh, over the weekend. Um, I believe that was yesterday. Um, Nick Holden with two points and William Carlson with two points. They're just tough to stop. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can, uh, we can turn it around. Um, we're still kind of teetering there in third place, so only three points ahead of the uh, – I just had it up. Who are they three points ahead of? Of the Canucks. Um, but those, those wily Canucks from Vancouver, um, I don't think that's down the chance against the, the Calgary Flames coming down the stretch. The goal differential thing does bother me that they are going to make the playoffs with a negative goal differential. That seems problematic, um, but uh, we will go from there. I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble slowing down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but I think it'll be a great series to watch. Uh, tell me, Ian, I did want to ask you about the Bruins. If you do see a uh, series with the light, or if you do series, if you do see a series with the Lightning. Um, coming down the stretch, how do you plan on stopping Mikhail Sergachev? I honestly, I don't know. It's the the big problem. I don't. I think it's actually he- Victor Hedman that's going to be the problem. He's a young player that's really coming into his own over the last couple seasons. Uh, and then there's Kucherov, who won the MVP, the Hart Trophy last year. I mean, just their offensive weapons are ruthless. And they, the idea that they are playing as strongly as they have been over the second half of the season, and they're going to carry that into the playoffs, I'm just hoping that they sort of crumble like they did last year in the first round because I'm more concerned with them with the Bruins advancing than facing the best teams. If you can tell me the name of Mikhail Sergachev's hometown in the next five seconds, I will buy you a six-pack of beer. Mikhail One, Sergachev? Two, uh, three, four, Is it Sochi? Five. No. You were never going to guess it. I, I just If you were lucky and had, <clears throat> had his profile up, you'd gotten a free case of beer. Uh, he was born June 25th, 1998 in... Nizhekamsk, Niz, Niz, Russia, which is, um, let's look at the map. Excellent. The first thing that comes up is a giant hammer and sickle statue, so it's clearly right outside of Moscow. Um, Nizhekamsk is, uh, wow, way out there. Um, there's not even a geographical reference I can give you. North of Kazakhstan. Okay, that and, makes sense. And um, west, it's probably 400 miles west of Moscow. East of Moscow, sorry. 400 miles east of Moscow. So. Okay. So uh, there's your geography corner uh, within Ian's Hockey Corner. And we will go back to reg- regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, and so I would like to point out that when I ask you questions about hockey, it's more like... 
<laughs> name a player on the Bruins. Name a player on the Calgary Flames. <laughs> who wow. is the leading? Who is the leading scorer in the league? And you ask me questions about the third or fourth best player on the Lightning and their hometown that they were born in. Look, man, um, it just it just goes to show that my knowledge of uh, hockey has um, has improved in the last couple of weeks, and I'm just I'm proud of that, and I'd like to I'd like to share it with with the listener. Okay, if you can answer in the next three seconds where Leon Drysaddle is from, I'll give you a six pack of beer. Leon Drysaddle is yeah, two. I, don't know. I can't even one. Google that name fast enough. <laughs> you don't know how to spell it, and that's why it's, it makes things easy for me. It's Cologne, Germany. Uh, well, you learn something new every day. Um, anyway. Uh, Happy for him that he's come over to America and provided some uh, entertaining hockey for uh, the. Yeah, I, uh, we'll, I pulled we'll, up the questions. Pulled up the questions. The list of questions. The yeah, first one, the first one's great. So. Yeah, we need to move on to that because we've been talking for fifty minutes already. Uh, all right. Um, so first question comes from uh, Shope Boy Magic. He says, "Talk about anal." <laughs> An owl? An owl. Uh, so, oh, there's oh. Al Snow was a wrestler. Uh, Al Bundy, he was on. Uh, he forgot. He, he was forgot on that the, show, Married with Children. Space, did, he forgot the space, didn't he? It's an owl. Yeah. Okay. An owl. Um, Al Gore. Uh, yeah, he invented the internet. Apparently. Did he invent the internet? I know he no. invented global no, warming. No, he didn't. He he didn't invent global warming. He just convince enough people to give him money that that's the thing people don't realize is the his way of combating global warming is by donating money to his own charity for carbon credits doesn't he have like a private jet too he has a house <laughs> he has a house that uses more energy than the equivalent i think of 12 uh mid- <laughs> middle income american homes Ah yes, perfect. That's leading by example. Nothing more, nothing more stand, uh, stand upish than um, uh, you know t- complaining that everyone else is ruining the economy or ruining the environment, and then boarding your private jet to your third home in Tahiti. Uh, okay, uh, moving on. Chad Dimonick asks about the conference championship preview. We will get to that uh, at the end of the show during our picks. We will pick every game, so stay tuned for that. And not every game, every conference. Tournament. I was going to say, we're picking every game. I'm not prepared for that shit. Yeah, we're, we're picking, uh, we're picking uh, every conference tournament champion. Uh, Chad Dimmick also asks Saudi Arabia and Russia dropping oil. I believe we talked ad nauseum about that at the beginning of the podcast. Chad, if you want to re-listen to that, take some fucking notes. Uh, all right. There will be a quiz. <clears throat> um, Nick Davidson texted me in, texted in a question and said, um, what are some underrated non-WVU-related March Madness memories of yours and Ian's teams that got on runs, memorable players, etc.? I loved the havoc, the havoc defense from Shaka Smart and VCU. That press defense. Were they a seven seed or an eight seed? Eleven. Okay, that's right. Yep. Yep. That was. I love this trivia question. Obviously, I just kind of gave it away. But how many Final Four or how many Sweet Sixteens has Shaka Smart made as a head coach? 
Three? One. It was just that one. Just that one. That is an excellent bar trivia question if you're trying to win a free drink off somebody. Because, because no one will ever guess just one. Because you know, when you think of Shaka Smart, you think he's been to the Sweet 16 you know, a do- couple dozen times. Or you know, a half dozen times anyway. He, that was the only time he ever made the Sweet 16 was that Final Four run at VCU. Huh. Wouldn't Pretty have wild guessed. stat, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's good. Um, um, I have to say, I mean, of course you can't, you can't forget about George Mason. Um, that's, being kind that of was the other one I was thinking of. The first true like Cinderella to make the Final Four in our lifetime anyway. Yep. At a 12 seed. Um, Gordon Hayward almost draining that half-court shot against Duke. <sighs> oh, that's exactly what I had just thought of. I was, you, oh, you know, um, did Doug McDermott make any noise in the tournament? Jake is going to get so pissed during this part of the, the podcast. The, he's the guy that played for Creighton, right? <coughs> Correct. Yes. I. Oh, any noise? I guess it depends on what you mean by noise. They never made the Final Four. Yeah, you, you got, I guess to really have it. I mean, of course, you can't forget about. Um, Frank Martin and Sundarius Thornwell making the Final Four as a 10th seed a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the uh, the Steph Curry basically pull, carrying his team. Uh, I'm not sure if they really made... Uh, they didn't make it to the Final Four, did they? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, I um, didn't think so. But he was basically carrying his team back then, too. Davidson, Steph Curry. Let's do a little Google thing here. Um, <laughs> Steph Curry, Jake is just gonna his. I I bet his blood is fucking boiling right now. Let's see here. Us uh, junior season. They lost to Kansas in the Elite Eight. That that. Oh, wait, the year before they lost to Kansas. His sophomore year, they lost to Kansas in the Elite Eight. Um. They got smoked. They beat third. They beat Wisconsin as a third seed um, by 17 points and went to the Elite Eight. And then they lost to um, the Jayhawks, who won the championship that year um, by two points. That was when they beat Memphis, right? Uh, yes, uh, on Mario Chalmers three. Mario Chalmers shouldn't even have arms to shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. Yep, yep, it was Mario Chalmers. Uh, where is Mario Chalmers from? Alaska. Yes. Great guess. There you go. That wasn't a guess. I knew the answer. Yeah, wow. There you go. Ian went in some trivia points today. Um, I Oh, there was Wisconsin beating that undefeated Kentucky team. Yes, uh, with... Um, uh, Frank Kaminsky, right? And and Sam Decker, yeah. Yep. Just two white guys just battling it. Yeah, that was one hell of a game, too. And I that remember was, that was the season that that was Javon and Daxter's freshman year. And <laughs> that was that was when we faced off with them in the in the Sweet 16 where they averaged a six-inch height <laughs> advantage on our starters. Oh wait, you're gonna you're gonna lo- wait. Nope, you're going to um, hate this. Wait, what the fuck? What are you What are you trying to say? Did they beat that Kentucky team or not? The Badgers lost the Final Four matchup with Kentucky when Harrison when Aaron Harrison hit the last second three pointer. 
I thought they beat that Kentucky team. No, they beat that Kentucky team because then they went on to lose to Duke in the in the championship game. Ah, uh, here it is. Here it is. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I was looking at the. So they made the Final Four the year before, where they lost to Kentucky uh, in the Final Four on, on an Aaron Harrison three. The next year, they um, beat North Carolina 79-72 in the Final Four, and then or no, they beat North Carolina to get into the Final Four. Uh, and then lost or beat Kentucky 71-64. That Kentucky team was fucking loaded. And then they lost to Duke by five. (sighs) Which would suck. I wanted to see that Kentucky-Duke matchup so bad that year. I don't know. I just really don't... I I hate both Duke and Kentucky being the teams... Like, there is no... There is no sport I hate the, like, Blue Bloods winning the title more than in college basketball. Why? Uh, well, one, it's because I'm fully aware that the they're paying the players under the table and the idea that these coaches are doing it the honest, quote-unquote honest way is bullshit, and that really that rubs me the wrong way. Uh, but it's also because the fans of all of those teams, of the Blue Blood teams, are fucking infuriating. That roster was just fucking stacked. We lost, We we got smoked so bad by that team too. <laughs> oh my god! They doubled our score. Oh, easily. That was that game was never fucking close. I I remember telling people before that game, one of two things are going to happen. Either we are going to uh, the press, they will be unprepared for it. And they'll be caught off guard and will be able to sneak out a close game. Or they will absolutely beat the shit out of us because they figure out that all they have to do is throw it over the... They just have to get it over the press because they have an, a height advantage of, over us. And they figured that out very quickly. They shot 61% um, and at one point were 44 of... Eight, uh, we, they were beating us 44 to 18. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we won. They won seventy-eight to thirty-nine. The largest mark, tying the largest margin of victory ever in a semifinal. Uh, I was at that game, unfortunately. Uh, Daxter Miles, honestly, in the running there for uh, dumpster fire of the decade, with his comment that the Wildcats would be thirty-six and one after our game. Well, I mean, that's one of those things that always bothers me. It's like, what what is he supposed to say? Is he supposed to say that He's granted, supposed to say it'll be a he, good I game. Know, I know it's to it. you're just supposed to throw out like some clichés about, yeah, we're going to do our best. We're going to see we're going to try and we're going to try and and beat them, be the be the only team to do it. But like, what do you like you expect him to just not be like have no confidence and just be like we don't stand a chance. Like we're we're doomed. That that's the impression that I got from all these people that were like calling him out on the on the shows the following day on ESPN and Fox Sports. It's like you're sitting there yelling at an 18 year old college student when you were the ones asking him the question. Basically, you're setting up an 18 year old to say something he probably shouldn't, and then you're chastising him for it. Yeah, but that's where they get all their clicks, right? You know, that's why people tune in to see stupid shit like that. And then, of course, if he had called it and we won, you know, he goes down as a legend. You know, like, yes. oh, yeah. Like, you know, he knew they were going to win from the get-go. 
So, you know, it's it's a win-win either way for ESPN and a lose-lose for Daxter. But Daxter had a lot of lose-lose situations in his career at WVU. That starting five for Kentucky that year was insane. Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley-Stein, Trey Lyles, the Harrison Twins. Devin Booker was on the bench. <laughs> I forgot Devin Booker. I forgot about Trey Lyles, but I, I forgot Devin Booker was a bench player on that. It was yeah, the sixth he was, man. He was like the sixth man on that team. It's insane. Absolutely insane, man. All rookie first team, and he when he uh, when he got into the uh, in the league in 2016, and um, didn't even he, start. He didn't fucking start at Kentucky. <laughs> oh, Wasn't fuck. there like an argument that people were putting forward that he that they might have like three of the top five, or did they have three of the top five people drafted that year? Um, we can look at the 2018. Well, let's just go down to the NBA. Um, when was he drafted? Let's see here. Once again, Jake just rolling over in his fucking grave. Well, I'm sorry that I don't know where everyone was drafted. I don't know every fucking draft class for the NBA. We don't even talk about the NBA on this fucking podcast. I know, but you, dude, don't... Jake is probably... Dude, he's going to text me about it. I guarantee it. And just be like, how the fuck do you not know this? I had to turn it off. I just couldn't listen to you talk about it. You know what, Jake? <laughs> fuck off, man. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Fuck off. Um, should we just go ahead and not oh, well, answer this? Um, we're going to answer it because the I next pulled question. it up. So, um, Devin Booker was drafted 13th overall. Carl uh, Anthony Towns was taken first overall, followed by D'Angelo Russell, Jalil Okafor, uh, and then Kristaps Porzingis at uh, number four. Oh, yeah. Willie Cauley-Stein went sixth. Frank Kaminsky went ninth. Um, Justice Winslow went tenth. Trey Lyles went 12th from Kentucky, and then we had Devin Booker. Other interesting notes there. Um, Andrew Harrison went. Uh, he didn't start. He started to Kentucky, but he got drafted uh, 44th overall. Okay, so you know. okay. should we just right. move on to the next question you have? Uh, yes. Okay. So the final question comes from Jake. Uh, so I hope he turned it off so he doesn't have to listen to his question. Uh, best drunk food you've ever had. Best drunk food I've ever had. Yep. Well, the problem, there's an inherent problem with the premise of this is the fact that the best I've ever had would imply that I was so blackout drunk that I don't remember what it was. But I'm gonna no, throw see. Out. I disagree. I disagree with you. I think if, if you could be blacked out, but if the food's that good, you remember it. I don't know. I I think I will throw out the. There's. I think I may say, and we're just talking about the like the taste. Uh, we're not talking about like how it how your body hurts afterwards. It could be uh, part of it. It's a it's a holistic review. I'm gonna uh, okay. I'll go. I'll go with my approach and say the Cleveland from rusted musket. Ooh, which R.I.P. doesn't exist anymore. What was on the Cleveland? That was the one that had mozzarella sticks on it. Oh, fuck. And buffalo chicken. Man, yeah. That's a front runner. I never, you know, for as, as much I lived in Honors Hall, you lived in Honors Hall. For us living in Honors Hall, I went to Rusted Musket maybe once or twice in my entire life. I didn't go very often freshman year. I, run, I moved on to... Uh, 
on the university sophomore year and got it a couple times then. I got it a lot of times my senior year, which may say something about how my how my drinking increased throughout the years. <laughs> oh man. Oh, good old musket. That place was filthy inside. There was <laughs> my roommate's senior year said that he once walked in there like during the day, like curious because he he really liked the musket balls, which is just like fried cheese balls. Yeah, uh, and fried mac and fried mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's just like fried pepper jack cheese. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and he walked in in the middle, like at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> And the guy that was usually behind the counter was just sitting at a table rolling a joint. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Did you ever go to Munchies? I didn't, but I heard really good things about it until it closed. Munchies was another one of those drunk places, but they were always so goddamn high, they'd never get your order right. And it would take like an hour to cook a cheeseburger. It was fucking so slow. That place was also filthy. Um, R.I.P. Man, Munchies was great. Uh, I will I say, uh, I will say that anyone who says Casa Dimitri is a is just an idiot. It's just a narc. Yeah, if you say Casa, you should fucking hang yourself. You're um, ba- you're basic as fuck. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, I bet you enjoyed your Casa with your fucking frozen frappuccino, ice latte, and uh, and uh, your bar tab, your eighty dollar bar tab that mommy and daddy paid for at Lux. Suck a dick. Um, I would say, and I think Jake was fishing for an answer here when he asked this question, but best drunk food I've ever had is the uh, triple deluxe cheeseburger from Town Topic in Kansas City, Missouri. Hands down, the greatest drunk food you can ever get. You go in there, they cook all the burgers on a pile of onions, so it smells incredible. That Um, that sounds good. It's a giant cheeseburger, so like three patties, three slices of cheese. They put lettuce, tomato, uh, and mustard on it, and um, they bring it out, and then I get the, I get the onion rings because their onion rings are really good too. This is a 24-hour diner. It's no bigger than like 800 square feet, and people are just jammed in there. The thing about it that makes it truly great drunk food is if whatever clothes you, went, you wear in there that night smell like fried onions for the next two days. You have to wash them, and if you don't wash, like if you don't take a shower, your hair smells like 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 onions. You just smell like total shit. But man, it is the most satisfying drunk meal you can get. The burger's gigantic. Oh, dude, Town Topic by far the best drunk food in America. I will put Town Topic up against anything. Waffle House, cookout, you fucking name it, the best. You when you go out there, if you ever get out to Kansas City, Town Topic's the place to go. Well, if we stay in the Big 12, I'm sure that I will eventually go to a Big 12 tournament just to see my... Just so I can have uh, memories of being disappointed in person. Nothing like flying out there and losing the first night you're there and having two days to do fuck all because you can't get a flight earlier flight home. <laughs> oh, Allows man. you to explore one of America's great cities. I will say Kansas City is a fucking cool city. One of my favorite cities in America. You know that it's it's turning into like a place that a lot of people are moving to when they move out of the bigger like the bigger markets because it's too expensive. 
Uh, used to be like Charlotte and Nashville, but then that turned into now like Charlotte's. Yeah, it's like a major yeah. market now. Mm-hmm. And so yep. now it's turned into like Cleveland and Kansas City. I don't blame them, dude. I would love to move there. I I think Kansas City is such a fun town. Great barbecue scene. Bar scenes are great, and Midwestern girls are so homely, down to earth. I dated a Kansan for a little I'm while. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need to correct you. Homely does not mean what you think that it means. Homely. Does not mean, wait, like, okay, you explain to me what you think homely means. Homely, I'm pretty sure it means, like, mediocre and kind of, like, not in, like, just average. Okay, I'm looking up the definition for homely now because I'm thinking of something different. I'm thinking you're thinking homey. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, fuck. That is, you see, that's why I <laughs> oh, told no. you this- Oh, God. Dumpster fire. This is a great transition into dumpster fire of the week because the definition for homely is unattractive in, a, in appearance. Unattractive, plain, plain featured. Boy, like I said, wow. average. Yeah. I, I told you that's not what you meant. You think Yikes. you were thinking like uh, basically like domestic. Yes. Very domestic, like pleasant, comfortable and cozy. Homey, not homely. Yeah. Just they're they're down to earth girls like to have fun you know drink some beers go on river floats, yeah I like Kansas girls they're cool. Um, okay, so dumpster fire of the week. Uh, okay, so dump, we'll let you go ahead and go first, Ian. Okay, my dumpster fire of the week. Uh, we already talked ad nauseum about the coronavirus, but I feel like it needs to be pointed out that there was a guest that was on MSNBC today who went on and claimed. That he claimed that if things continue as they currently are, then the then the coronavirus will potentially reach a mortality rate of fifteen to twenty percent. For, for clarification, in places like Iran <laughs> and China, it's supposedly three to four percent. So when it gets to the United States, who has the highest, highest uh, survivability rate for cancer in the world, we are apparently so ill-equipped for a plague that we're going to allow a fifth of our population to get wiped out by the coronavirus. So here's the thing, and you know maybe he's just trying to prove a point here that... Um this is a call for Medicare for all, universal health care. You know, basically what he's saying is under the, under the current system, so many people can't afford to go to the hospital that 15 to 20% of, of Americans will die. See, that is, that's an interesting, interesting point to make. But when you're making that point by saying that it will happen because the government's response is so inadequate, that I'm not sure that makes the point that he thinks it's making. Uh, and it looks like the fellow's name was Joseph Fair. Joseph Fair. I've never heard of the guy. Nope. He's some he's, kind of like pandemic expert, right? Or something? It's, he's literally listed as MSNBC science contributor. Interesting. Well, uh, clearly he doesn't understand how statistics and percentages work. I take it. Maybe he meant a 15 to 20% infection rate, but not a, oh yeah, it just sounds like a fucking moron. Uh, that actually isn't 
an unreasonable thing. Because that's what the swine flu got was like 60 million people were infected. I got the swine flu. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, only 10,000 people died. So you were, you were unfortunately working against, against the odds. And it just didn't work out in your favor. Uh, much like the rest of my life. All right. Um, anything else on the MSNBC fella? Nope. All right. Well, I will jump right into my dumpster fire of the week. And my dumpster fire of the week is women. Um, so, uh, as you know, Ian, yes, yesterday was a, was a, um, was a, the uh, international first, it was, uh, international women's day, which also happened to fall on the same day as daylight savings time. Now, Ian, I am by no means a math expert, but I do know that, uh, generally when we spring ahead, we do what with that hour? We get rid of it. And so somehow, some way, the patriarchy still finds a way to jam it up women's ass, asses in a non-pleasurable way uh, with, by taking one hour away from International Women's Day. Because, it, you know, we all know that <clears throat> men can't do anything without just sticking it to the, to the female matriarchy um, in any roundabout, passive-aggressive way possible. Honestly, if whoever did this... If some male came up with this idea and we want to put on the tinfoil hat, props to this male who came up with the idea to make this on Daylight Savings Times Day because that is the most passive-aggressive fucking thing you could do to well, anybody. It's, well, if I'm not mistaken, and I think I could, be, I could be wrong, but I believe that International Women's Day is, like, supposedly supposed to start or it takes place on, like... The day of the year where women finally make what they would have made, uh, w- make the equivalent of what their male counterpart made back in the previous year is, I think, what it was supposedly. Ah, uh, so it's like the 130% to 70% thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. But yeah. the, uh, the, f- <laughs> the funny part is, like, sure, I, I mean, we're still making progress because what happened is sure they don't get the full day, but the last time I checked, and once again, not a math expert, 23 out of 24 is still higher than 77%. So We're getting there. We've made me. progress. Yeah. And That's- is are we sure that the spite that women had for this shortened day is not what caused the sell-off uh, today? It, it could be. It could be curtailed. Mercury's coming out of retrograde. It, it, I think we hit like a perfect, we hit a perfect, I guess you could call it a trifecta of pissed off women, uh, Mercury ending retrograde, and um, angry oligarchies um, unhappy with United States trade sanctions. Yeah, no. That, uh, which do you think it's is the right- most dangerous? Oh, pissed off women for sure. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> like I, w- I would uh, definitely. You would, you would fist fight Vladimir Putin in a second. Yeah, hundred and ten percent. But, but play an extra nine holes of golf, and God forbid what you're going to walk home to. You know what I'm saying. Well, if I were to play an extra nine holes of golf, I would be too drunk to walk home. <laughs> so I'd have to drive. 
Oh man. Um, you know, one thing women are, you know, one thing that isn't being analyzed by this whole um, International Women's Day is that, um, you know, I, I love how the wage debate always gets brought up, but w- a lot of women generally take jobs that pay less anyway, perhaps. You know, Ryan, I would love to get into the discussion about why the wage gap is stupid and doesn't make sense, <laughs> but we are already like an hour and 15 minutes into this episode. Okay, well then we, and we have yet to, we're supposed to pick the conference tournaments this week. Yes, we are. Um, hold on to your hats, folks. We're not done. We still haven't got the boomer of the week, and I will go ahead and take my International Women's Day and curtail it right into uh, my boomer of the week. And my boomer of the week is uh, Tom Perez. Ian, do you know who Tom Perez is? Yes, I believe I was the one that informed you. He is the DNC chairperson. He is the DNC chairperson, correct? And uh, you know, uh, this is a Tulsi Gabbard podcast. It has been from the very beginning. Tulsi 2020, yes. Um, And as you also know, Tulsi is still the only uh, minority woman in the Democratic presidential race. She is the Um, youngest candidate. She is the only female candidate remaining. And she is the only person of color remaining. Correct. And what the DNC did, um, and Tulsi has won one delegate. She won American Samoa. I think she's actually won two delegates. Maybe she has two. I think it's just one. I will check on that. Continue with what you're saying. Okay. So um, the DNC uh, debate rules stated that uh, she does have two delegates. Um, the DNC rules stated that you had to have uh, at least one delegate to participate in the upcoming presidential debate, which will be, uh, I believe, next week. Um, Tulsi qualifies by technicality with two delegates. Um, there are other people that have dropped out of the race, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bloomberg, Pete Buttigieg. Amy Klobuchar and uh, obviously Andrew Yang didn't have any delegates. Tom Steyer didn't have any delegates, um, but the rest of those people had delegates. Tulsi coming up at dead last with two. However, she did meet the threshold of having delegate having one delegates to to make the next debate. Well, uh, the DNC um, and the Democratic Party, in hopes to essentially put a glass ceiling above the only woman minority candidate in the race has decided to change the rules that effectively make it impossible for Tulsi to qualify for the upcoming debate, leaving us with two senile uh, old men, one of whom is a socialist and the other uh, is on some type of psycho- psychedelic drug and can't put a uh, full sentence together. So, uh, Which my one's boomer, which? They're interchangeable, honest. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Biden isn't a socialist. I don't think Biden knows what economics is. If you were to ask him what's, what economics are, he'd tell you a story about how he owned a 1978 Mustang that he used to pick up his ex-wife in um, when he was in college. And he never owned a 78 Mustang, nor did he ever have an ex-wife. Um, uh, he did have a wife that died, though. Oh, he did. Is that an ex or a dis- How would you – would you describe if your wife dies – side note here. We'll do a little aside – if your wife dies, is that an ex-wife or a widow? No, no, no. You are a widower that remarried. Excellent. Okay, so but it's not your ex. Like when you refer to your like wife, you just what do you refer to her as? First wife. Okay. Excellent. 
Thank you. Um, so back on track, the DNC, um, and this, these are the only conclusions I, I'm drawing based on the specific facts around this specific situation. The DNC is misogynistic, yes. The DNC is racist, yes. And the DNC is unfair, yes. All three of those things, they're fucking Tulsi Gabbard and it's bullshit and uh, she deserves a spot on the debate stage because honestly, Tulsi on stage with those two knuckleheads would maybe win the rest of the primaries. Can you um, even imagine? <laughs> it'd be a fucking, it'd be a massacre because she would look she, so well, down to earth and well-spoken next to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. It would be insane. Well, you know the reason, well, two things before I point out the reason why. One, I, I, just don't understand why the Democratic Party isn't ready for a uh, a woman of color to be president. I mean, it's it's time, and they just are stuck in the past and unwilling to see Agreed. what uh, unwilling to see what the future holds. Um, and the future is female. But the I Andrew Yang tweeted out after they announced the change to the debate rules that he someone had asked him. What he thought the next, what he thought the debate rule uh, requirements were going to be, and he said, "Whatever Tulsi has, plus one." Yeah, and, and sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Well, no, they made it. I, I believe I did the math. I believe they made it. You have to have at least one fifth of the delegates up to that point, which would require her to win every delegate currently remaining uh, available. And even then, I'm not certain she would qualify. You know what so, pisses me off about this, too? Is every one of those little motherfuckers on Twitter that got on there after Elizabeth Warren dropped out and talked about how, how much bullshit that was in that whole dropout and how she, the, America just isn't ready for a woman president, America isn't ready to have a female in office, blah, blah, blah. They're completely ignoring the fact that the DNC, the Democratic Party that she dropped, the race she dropped out of, still has a female in it, and you're not supporting her. Yes. So make, here's my point. Make up your mind. If you want to do identity politics, let's do identity politics. But you can't fucking pick and choose. That's bullshit. Tulsi is more than qualified to be president of the United States. More than well, qualified. She, she's more qualified than Bernie Sanders, who I'm not sure if he's ever p sponsored a bill that's passed, or the or Joe Biden, who can't fig who can't remember his own former boss's name. He can't remember Obama's name. He doesn't no, know he where doesn't, he is. He doesn't know what day of the fucking week it is, dude. Like Tulsi, he is doesn't know. He doesn't know who his sister is and who his wife is. It is legitimately concerning that they are putting him through this. Yeah, dude, he's gonna die in office. And you know what? I bet he picks some running mate that's going to be like primed and ready to. It's going to be some bullshit. Like, uh, I bet. Oh man, if I were to sit back and take a bet right now, I bet his running mate will probably be probably Pete Buttigieg. I would guess. Really? I think he picks uh, Mayor Pete or maybe Elizabeth Warren. See, but if he was going to take Elizabeth Warren, I think Warren would have would have would have uh, endorsed him. Endorsed him by now. Yeah. I don't know, man. Fucking 
it's fucking bullshit. Tulsi's not on stage. I think. Well, it, you know the, the just, reason why is because one, she's anti-war. But two, it's because they saw what she did to Kamala Harris's campaign. She executed Kamala Harris on stage while yes, everyone just sat, bar- sat, sat back <laughs> yes, and watched. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And she talked about how she prosecuted she prosecuted like 50, over fifteen hundred people for minor marijuana charges. She like made a guy stay on death row and he shouldn't have been on death row. She fucking murdered her. That was. Can you imagine phenomenal. if she pulled that shit with Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders? Oh, dude, she would bury Joe Biden, and she would honestly bury. Be, she would bury Bernie because she would make the thing about this. This she this might literally bury them in the sense that they might both die before the DNC. Dude, like, like, and this is why I like Tulsi staying in the race. We can, we were talking about this, like, why is she still in the race? She's clearly not going to win. She is in a position now to completely rev- leverage the fact that she is the only sane person still in the election. Yes, you know. And, and like, I would love nothing more than to see her get on the fucking debate stage and, and look at, you know, and when you have two crazy people next to each other, like by, um, I guess you could say like self destroying properties, they make each other look slightly less crazy because it's just, you have option a or option B, but if you add option C on there, which is significantly less crazy than the two old men on stage, it makes Bernie and Joe look like people that should be in a home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like here, you've got like, like, and I know we've rambled on about this for a, probably another 10 minutes, but you've got perfectly, like you've got hot, smart, veteran Tulsi Gabbard, and then two crazy, wispy-haired old white men that, that can't, you know, tell you what day of the week it is. Or explain economics at all. But, uh... We have, I think we have talked about this for 10 minutes, and we will uh, move on to uh, your Boomer of the Week. My Boomer of the Week, we're gonna, I'm going to have to rush through it, but Ronnie, Ronnie's back at it again. And so he, he has some, some union workers that work for him, and so he, uh, uh, he's kind of was trying to calm people down. By explaining to them that, uh, yes, their pensions did take a massive hit over the last week. And, yes, uh, the people who were about to retire will probably have to work for about another year or two uh, to make up the difference and uh, get back to where it was. But, he explained to them, don't worry, because you won't have to pay for as much in gas uh, in in order to get to work. And uh, that... Hasn't been going over super well, uh, but you know what? Would he, you say that's he, fairly? He makes mistakes. Down. Everyone makes mistakes. Ronnie made a mistake. I think I don't think we should dwell on it. I, I would say it's I would say it's fairly tone deaf, but um, hey, you know, to each their own. Ronnie's just trying to make people feel better. In a here's Ronnie. He's just, a silver you know, linings guy. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, he really puts the silver in silver linings. Um, and, and, you know, pointing out the good things, even when they could be completely horrible. Okay. So good for Ronnie. All right. Um, well, that concludes our hour and a half of our normal segments. Uh, and now we will get into some picks and I believe Ian, we will be picking the big 12 tournament, the ACC tournament, the big East tournament, the PAC 12 tournament, the a 10, the American tournament, the big 10 tournament and the sec tournament. Um, so we will go ahead and get started with our favorite folks down here in the southeast, as uh, Paul Feinbaum likes to call them, 
the Southeastern Conference of uh, basketball players, and we will get started with them for the 2020 SEC tournament. Uh, Ian, who you got? I I like Auburn. I think that Kentucky's come on strong here, closer to the end. Had a didn't have the ideal start to the to the Big Twelve to the sorry to the SEC play, but I think that Auburn. Uh, I think that they managed to pull this one out. I will preface this by saying um, we are picking the winners of each conference tournament. Whoever gets the most winners right, uh, this is a mayor's bet for another case of beer. Yes. Yes, okay. All right, Uh, well, in that case, um, I like Kentucky here. Um, Like you said, Kentucky kind of coming on hot towards the end of the season. It's just hard for me to pick against Coach Cal, especially in postseason play. Um, That tournament's in Nashville. Kentucky always has a big turn up. Uh, turnout for those games, so I, I like Kentucky to win that one. Uh, odds at seven to four there as well. Uh, moving on to perhaps the arguably the best conference in the country this year, uh, the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Ian, who do you like in that one? Honestly, it's it's kind of boring to go with it, but Maryland's just been so good all season, and this is this is probably the hardest one to pick just because. You can even go down to Penn State, and it wouldn't be they're uh, what are I think they're the five seed, uh, but it's just every the top. This is such a top heavy league, and I I wouldn't be surprised if any of the any of the people near the top ended up winning. But I just think Maryland's been playing out of their minds this season. I didn't see it coming. Uh, but I think I think that they're going to manage to pull out the conference title. Yep. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to go the other way here. Um, the second, uh, both Maryland and Michigan State currently both sitting at seven to two odds to win the tournament. Uh, I like Michigan State here once again. Uh, I kind of go with the coaching pedigree of Tom Izzo uh, come postseason play, and then you know really that's that's um, that's caveated by um, you know a senior guard play and, and Cassius Winston. Um, kind of playing for his brother this year, a little chip on his shoulder. They've struggled at times. I really haven't been a big believer in Michigan State, but I, I just find it hard to bet against Tom Izzo uh, when it comes to postseason play. So I, I like Michigan State to win that one. Moving on to the American Athletic Conference. Who you got here? I like Wichita State. You motherfucker. All right. keep. What, what, what's your reasoning? Honestly, I just don't have faith in Houston. And Memphis... Look. Memphis hasn't been the same since they uh, they just haven't been able to live up to expectations after they had to get rid of the uh, their big prospect uh, at, because of a recruiting violation, I think it was. Uh, and so I just I, – I don't know why I don't trust Houston, but I just don't. And so I'm, I'm going with Wichita State for that reason. So I am actually going to go the other way here, and I like Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati coming down the stretch um, pretty strong. A loss at Houston, obviously not ideal, but they did beat Wichita State at home. Um, you know, statistically, they are, you know, they're led by, uh, I think it's Jonathan Cumberland or you know, Jaron Cumberland. Jake's once again going to get super pissed off that I messed up that name. Averaging 15.5 points a game uh, and four boards. Um I just I think uh, Cincinnati's got a good shot at it. This is kind of a, a obviously not a very talented league by any means, um, so I'm taking Cincinnati there in the Atlantic or in the American Athletic Conference. Okay. 
All right, moving on to the A10. This should be uh, easy. Um, I don't think there's any explanation needed, but I'll go let you go ahead and pick who you're going to pick. It's Dayton. Yeah, it's it's Dayton. I don't think there's any discussion needed there at all. Um, Although it is worth noting that Gonzaga almost lost this evening to San Francisco, so there are surprises possible. It's March. We sleep in May. This as, is March. Uh, as as uh, it spreads, as John Rothy. I think it's it's. I just find it so weird. Every time he tweets, it spreads. I just can't. I think of like the coronavirus. I think of like melted butter on a dinner roll. <laughs> so many things that come to mind. Well, butter my read, butt and call me a biscuit. When you when you just read the phrase, it just says it spreads. Okay. All right. Move on to the next one after that statement. <laughs> pack, 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 pack twelve. Who you got? Oregon. Uh, they've just, just been. Be diff- They've just been the best team in the in the conference all season. And... To, to be different, I'm going to uh, pick our boys down in Arizona, Archie Miller and the Fighting Wildcats. Um, can we side note that by by talking about? Oh, give me your Oregon take, and then I'm going to tell you what Archie Miller said about Joe Lenardi today. <laughs> I I was just going to say that they've been they've been consistently one of the top. 10 to 15 teams in the in the country all season and I think that they're trying to make a strong push to win the to make a which what what is this take I need to hear it so Joe Lenardi uh, so Archie Miller when asked about Joe Lenardi <coughs> oh Archie Miller walked out on Joe Lenardi and um when asked uh or I guess as he walked out he told Joe Lenardi to crawl back into the trash can he crawled out of and said Bracketology is a children's show like Sesame Street. <laughs> That's great. So no holds barred here from Archie Miller, who, just to make sure Jake isn't super pissed that I didn't fuck this up, I think he's still the coach of Arizona. Let's double-check that. Okay, you can do uh, that. If you go, okay, um, while I'm double-checking that, we will move on to the ACC. I like Florida State. Let's see here. Oh, Archie Miller. I'm sorry. I fucked that up. Jake is going to lose his goddamn shit. Um, He's not still listening. Archie Miller is the coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. So apologies to our listener there. He did coach at Arizona. (laughs) But uh, he does not coach there anymore. All right. So you like Florida State in that one? You know, I am going to take Duke here. I, I think Duke is playing great basketball right now. Trey Jones is playing out of his mind. I think there's a little, there's a little, a little value in Louisville at thirteen to four, but uh, I, I really like uh, Duke to win this one here. And then moving on to our final tournament, the one we know most well, that is the Big Twelve tournament played in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, uh, I will let you pick this one first because I've I took them I took the first pick up to this point and I feel like I should let you pick the one that we know the best the most about. Um, I think you gotta. Oh man, this is tough. Okay, so here's the thing about Kansas City: it, it is going to be full of Kansas fans. You have a very weak showing from Iowa State. You have a very weak showing from Kansas State. It is going to be 95% Kansas fans there this weekend. You'll have a sprinkling of Tech fans, a sprinkling of Baylor fans, and a sprinkling of 
West Virginia and Oklahoma and Texas fans. TCU really doesn't travel up to this. Um, Texas is out, I think. I don't think they have a shot. Oklahoma's playing good basketball, but still haven't really proven to me that they could be a team that wins the Big 12 tournament. Tech has the potential to win it all. I mean, Tech has gone toe-to-toe with every good team in the Big 12. I think for a value pick, I like Tech at 8-1. to one. Um, I think I think that you're exactly right about that. And if you want to definitely take a like a flyer on any of the teams and any of the tournaments, I like Oklahoma at plus. I have it at plus twenty five hundred. Yeah, they're eighteen eighteen to one here, so plus eighteen hundred on 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 this particular app. Um, so I I like uh, on a value pick over the whole thing. Like I said, I I like Tech over Oklahoma at, at plus eight hundred. But I think I, I just find it hard to bet against Kansas, especially in this environment. It's a home. It's basically a home game for them, every game um, until they get dethroned. I, I like Kansas, especially with with a, a weak Big Twelve this year. I think this is Kansas's to lose. I I think that you're probably right about that, uh, but just to be different because I've <laughs> I apparently stole Wichita State from you. Uh, I'll take I'll take Baylor. I'm not. I think that Baylor feels like they they fucked up uh, at home and that they have something to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder against Kansas, so they're gonna be they're gonna be aiming for Kansas, and they they're in a they're gonna be feeling rather foul after losing to West Virginia, and so they're gonna be on a they're gonna be trying to make some noise and making. Uh, making a statement in this tournament, and I think that they do it effectively and win the win the tournament outright. Alrighty, and on that note, we have picked them all. Ian, I'll let you go back and listen and make notes on who we picked um, because I'm going to edit this and put it out here for our listeners bright and early tomorrow so we can hear our initial reaction to the market crash, and uh, maybe we'll have an emergency podcast later this week if things really hit the shitter by Friday. Okay. No promises to our listeners, though. And, uh, all right. Well, I got nothing else. You got anything else? Well, I think the only thing left to say is don't forget to fade the public. Fade the public, you motherfuckers.